Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Sermon today is based on our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 2, reading just a couple of verses. And Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time when he, that he had ascertained from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. What great days these are. As we noted, it is now the fifth day of Christmas. The celebration continues. Advent, with its sober call for repentant preparation, finally gave up and surrendered to the celebration of Christmas. Christ is born. The bridegroom is present. Salvation has come. It is time for a party. People can lament and they can complain about the pagan roots and the wanton materialism and the secularization of Christmas, all that they want. But I can't help but delight in the fact that there is no birthday celebration that has given as much time, money, and planning as the birth of Jesus. Most birthday celebrations come and go with minimal fanfare. Mine always does. Even important people don't get that much attention. Washington's birthday, Queen Elizabeth's, both sometime in February, but who notices? Who really cares? But Jesus' birthday, everybody knows. And we devote weeks planning for the celebration with decorations and parties and gifts and music, special times of worship. Christmas is the king of the holidays. And why not? What a story we tell at the heart of Christmas. God himself driven by his overwhelming love for his broken and rebellious creation, enters into his creation to rescue and restore his creation. He doesn't just come as a spiritual principle or a source of moral or intellectual truth. He isn't a giver of visions. No, he comes as a genuine flesh and blood, real deal human baby. He comes to be one of us to save all of us to snatch us from an eternity of horror and hell and bring us instead into his kingdom of joy, peace, and glory. How can we not celebrate? And so today, on the fifth day of the ongoing celebration, the story rightly continues. Jesus is born. The Savior has come. God has come. It's time. Time for the world to receive her king. And so she does. But that part of the story doesn't go so well. It takes rather a nasty turn. 
it would be right to have baby Jesus welcomed with great honor and acclaimed with universal worship. But that's not what happens. No sooner, in fact, does the baby arrive, no sooner does God come than the world tries to get rid of him. Matthew tells this story, the dark side of the Christmas story, the part that doesn't feel good, the part that lacks a happy ending. King Herod received the newborn Lord just the way that anyone who knew the old dictator would have expected him to do it. Herod greeted Jesus with a drawn sword. He welcomed him with violence and death. And it was just the beginning, just the tip of the sword. Herod was not a nice guy. Paranoid, tyrannical, self-obsessed, he tolerated no threats to his reign and authority. Herod once ordered the death of his favorite wife when he suspected that perhaps her devotion had waned. And he killed two of his own sons when he doubted their loyalty. Throwing rivals into prison, executing swaths of people, and family bloodshed, that was all standard fare for the old king. Roman officials even wryly joked in Greek that it was safer to be Herod's hus than his huios, better his pig than his son. Historians provide long lists of Herod's atrocities. So Matthew adds one more that is not out of place. For Herod, it was a matter of necessity when he learned that foreign visitors had entered Jerusalem with talk of a newly born king of the Jews, the tyrant knew what he had to do. He had to eliminate this threat to his throne. He could take no chances. And so it meant nothing to the doddering but ruthless old ruler to slaughter every boy in the tiny village and outskirts of Bethlehem, two and younger. One dead child, 30, it made little difference to the monster of Christmas. By his order, the massacre began, and the sound of angels singing and shepherds celebrating was replaced with the shouting of soldiers and the bitter grieving of Bethlehem mothers. With his fare for creative interpretation, Matthew saw Herod's massacre as the fulfillment of of a long past tragedy in Israel's tortured history. Just north of Jerusalem in Ramah, more than 700 years before this time, Jeremiah had given his account of the forced exile of Israel's soon-to-be forever lost tribes. That had been a devastating event. And poetically, the prophet Jeremiah, who was living then, described the already long-dead Rachel, Jacob's favored wife and ancient mother of all of Israel's tribes. He described Rachel weeping as her heirs were marched off into oblivion to be lost. And then, seven centuries later, led by the Spirit, Matthew saw that Jeremiah's words also applied to the heartbroken mothers of Bethlehem. And as it turned out, Rachel's tomb was near Bethlehem. So Matthew easily imagined her weeping again, this time 
following Jeremiah's words, but weeping and wailing for the loved ones who had died in Bethlehem, wailing with those sad mothers. Now, oddly enough, or maybe perversely enough, there are people who would try to blame Jesus for the death of all of those little boys in Bethlehem. If Jesus hadn't been born, they reason, then those boys wouldn't have died. And of course, Herod would quickly agree with such twisted logic. From his perspective, it made perfect sense. His order to kill those babies was Jesus' fault. Herod had no choice. Jesus was a threat that had to be stopped, even if that meant a Bethlehem bloodbath. The killing was Jesus' fault. It was God's fault. A man's got to protect himself. And you know what happens when you corner an animal. God should have known better. God should have kept his distance. Herod's reaction to to Jesus' arrival was shocking, horrifying. No one wants to think about it. You don't like the image of grim soldiers, bloody swords, lifeless little bodies, and wailing mothers. It's hard to stomach the carnage. And yet, gruesome as it is, this picture is part of the story, and it holds a vital lesson for us. You see, Herod's reaction was not an appalling anomaly. Herod's reaction to Jesus was not abnormal at all. It was typical. It is actually the standard reaction of all men. The details might shift, but the pattern is consistent. When Jesus comes to take the throne, the reaction is always the same. God comes, people feel threatened by his presence, and so they lash out and try to get rid of the threat. This fear of God coming fuels much of the evil evident in our world today. Sometimes it is manifest still today in bloodshed. Little children, in fact, do still die today as people fight to keep Jesus off the throne of their lives. But the effort to stop Jesus and to keep him from ruling is more commonly bloodless and yet no less deadly. Deadly. Maybe you've watched it happen. Maybe it has played out in your own home. Maybe it was your own flesh and blood playing the part of Herod. Your child was raised to love Jesus, to go to church and be good. She knew God's truth, and she lived according to it with great enthusiasm. She was a wonderful example to others. But then, somewhere, sometime, something went wrong. She decided that having Jesus running her life was a burden that she didn't need. There were things she wanted to do that didn't line up with what Jesus wanted her to do. And so she walked away. She threw Jesus off the throne. When people are threatened by Jesus, they go on the attack. And they get rid of Jesus. And in the process, innocent people, parents, siblings, friends, they're often wounded. 
may not be a real sword, but the grief and the pain that are inflicted are all too real. The effort to keep Jesus off the throne can be blatant with outright rejection and rebellion, but the effort to keep Jesus from taking charge of a life can also be quiet and subtle. The throne of a person's heart is never easily conquered by Jesus. Indeed, whenever Jesus comes to rule, his arrival is met with resistance. No one ever willingly gives up the power of being the Lord of his own life. But there can only be one king in your life, and Jesus wants to be that king. That's why he came. He came to rule your heart. He came to be your king. Before he can rule, though, the old king has got to go. On that much, Herod was right. Jesus is a threat. He's a threat to your agenda, your dreams, your ego, your autonomy, your free will, your rights. Jesus is a threat to you. It's a fight for the throne. Who's going to run your life? It's either him or it's you. Every person in the Christmas story fought this battle. Mary fought it. Briefly, perhaps, but she fought it. Joseph fought it. Who was going to be in charge? Was it God's plan or his? And he wrestled mightily with God's plan and what it would cost. Herod fought this battle. As the story unfolded and Jesus came to others, they also fought back against the rule of Jesus. Peter, Matthew, Judas, Pilate, Paul, all of them fought the battle for the throne. And in the process, many innocent people got caught, like those Bethlehem babies, caught in the battle's crossfire. The one defending his throne puts up a strong and often indiscriminate defense. Not surprising, people get caught and hurt. At Christmas, Jesus comes to you. How's the battle for the throne going in your life? It can be only one Lord in your life and one king on your throne. Is your king Jesus or is it still you? Who dies when Jesus comes to take the throne of your life? Does your old sinful self die under the sharp sword of God's law? Or do you go on the attack and fight back, wildly striking and killing anyone who gets in the way and crucifying Jesus all over again? The slaughter of the innocents reminds us that Jesus' coming is not the sweet, heartwarming Christmas tale of popular culture. Jesus' coming is the radical, life-changing, world-upside-down arrival of God who is on a campaign to retake what sin had once claimed. Slaughter and death are part of the Christmas story. But calling this part of the Christmas story the slaughter of the innocents isn't entirely right either. 
You see, children or not, the truth is there were no innocents in the Bethlehem drama. All participants were caught in sin. And so all are guilty. Now, there is only one who is innocent. To get it right, we need a singular noun. The slaughter of the innocent. The slaughter of Jesus. That's the real story. Yes, Joseph got Jesus and Mary out of Bethlehem before Herod's soldiers came. But Jesus' escape was only temporary, a stay of execution. The outcome was inevitable. Because when God comes to reign, sinful people resist, reject, and rebel. They rise up and kill. Sinful people rise up to kill. And that's exactly what happened. The slaughter of the innocent, the slaughter of Jesus, the killing of God in the flesh, man's attempt to get rid of God and his Christ once and for all didn't happen in Bethlehem. No, it happened in outside Jerusalem on a cross. You see, Herod's evil doesn't taint the Christmas story. It confirms the Christmas story. It was precisely for this evil that Jesus came. Jesus' coming simply reveals what was and is always there. The innocence of Jesus exposes the reality of hard, haughty, hoarding human hearts. Jesus comes to reclaim the throne, the throne of your life. He comes to destroy the usurper, your old sinful self, and take again his rightful place as Lord of your life. The clash between the innocent son of God and your old sinful self is uncomfortably foreshadowed in Herod's massacre of Bethlehem's boys. God comes and man rejects. But Herod couldn't get rid of Jesus. And his son Herod Antipas, he couldn't get rid of Jesus. High priest Caiaphas couldn't get rid of Jesus. And neither could Pilate or Judas, or Peter, or Paul, though every one of them tried. Jesus' coming will not be stopped. Sin rises up against God and mounts a fierce defense against the coming of God's innocent Son. And with Jesus, God in human flesh, safely nailed to a cross, rebellious man celebrates the apparent success of his battle against God. God, it seems, was a pushover after all, weak and servile. The gracious king of peace was so easily slaughtered and done away with. But God will not be stopped. Jesus' coming will not be stopped. Man killed him, but God raised him. Alive again. The innocent, perfect son. He came back again came again to his disciples, again to his people, again to his creation, and he became Lord and became king. And he comes again today to you. He comes to take the throne of your heart. He will take the throne. Either now or on the day of judgment, he will take it. And as always, people will die in the process. After all, there's only room for one on the throne. It's either you or him. When Jesus comes, he takes the throne. 
And you, your old sinful self, your old self-willed, wicked and rebellious self, will die. And that's okay. In fact, it's wonderful. This is one death where sorrow has no place. The death of your old sinful self is the beginning of real life. Those who die with Jesus live with Jesus. You die. Jesus takes the throne and life begins. The battle for the throne ends with Jesus as king and you, his restored and glorified servants and heir. That's God's plan. That's the Christmas story. Jesus comes and sin is slaughtered. Jesus comes and the ambitions of Herod and all sinful men are cut short and conquered. Jesus comes and death is turned upside down. Jesus comes and takes his throne. Jesus comes and restores all things to the creator's perfect plan. A new life, a life of joy and delight lived God's way. Your confusion, pain, regret, sorrow, and longing all end when Jesus comes and takes the throne. He comes today in his word proclaimed into your ears, in his body and blood delivered into your mouth, in his grace poured into your life. He comes for you. Don't fight him. Don't reject him. Don't rise up to kill. Simply receive him as king. Die. And in his grace, be made alive again. This is the continuing story of Christmas. Jesus still comes. He comes for you. Amen.